Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, and today we have with us NBA writer Keith Smith. Keith, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. And as always, we'll just get started by uh, Keith. How about you just tell us kind of your journey through sports media from when you first realized you wanted to do this to how you got to where you are now? Sure. Yeah, it was a pretty big gap between when I wanted to do this until when I actually started doing this. It was uh, something I wanted to do when I was a kid. I realized pretty early on I wasn't going to be much as an athlete. I I love sports, but I I just wasn't so great at them. Mm. Um, So for me, it was going to be kind of the coaching path or uh, my dream has always been working in an NBA front office mm-hmm. or writing about sports. And, you know, as life has it, it kind of took me in a different direction. I worked for the Walt Disney company for nearly 20 years. Uh, I started there as an intern while I was in college and then went full time. They kind of shuffled me and my family a couple times and sports was always, you know, kind of number one thing on the list right behind my family. And at one of those points, I found myself disconnected from everybody I kind of knew. And I had uh, joined the Real GM message board because I just didn't have a lot of fans or friends who were NBA fans at that time. So that was a great place for me to kind of get that fix of talking about the NBA without driving my wife crazy (laughs) on the couch each night. Eventually, they had an opportunity for me to uh, start writing. I said, you know what, that sounds good but i haven't written anything since college and thankfully the editor over there chris reina is a great guy and really helped get me there so i did some started doing some writing for them and then that expanded into other things and and here we are now today where i'm you know writing at a bunch of different places and really enjoying it and have turned it into you know what i'm doing wow yeah that's um Oh, well, it's one way to get your uh, get your career kick started there. What was it like when you make, kind of first started writing for Real GM when you hadn't written anything since college? How did you deal with that initial transition? Yeah, I think probably for me it was okay. I think for Chris it was probably pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> I don't know how good I was. It was one of those things. But but I read a lot and I read a lot of uh, writers, so I kind of knew how to flow things without being, you know, repeatedly of LeBron James is very good. And LeBron James, LeBron James, LeBron James, those kind of things. I know that I didn't like reading those things. So naturally it was there. And I think I had some level of natural ability to, to write a little bit um, there. It's been something I had always kind of done well with in school and the like, and in communication through, through my uh, career and the like there. So, so it was, it wasn't too hard from that side, but thankfully they were willing to work with me a lot on things. And if you can't tell, I'm sure you can already tell. Uh, so it was one of those things where they helped me cut it down to, all right, so this doesn't need to be 2000 words. We can probably cut that in half and let's figure it out. So, so through that process, you know, I've learned quite a bit how to be my own self editor in a way. Yeah. Important skill to have, to be sure. Not all of us are as blessed as you to have it, but glad you did. (laughs) Um, So you started off at Real GM. Kind of, how did you use Real GM as your launching point for the rest of your writing? Yeah, thankfully, Real GM has a really good following and a really good name in the basketball world. It's where uh, Danny LaRue, who's with the Athletic, Sean Sharania, who's now with the Athletic, both of them got their start there doing things. I, I came in kind of right as those two were 
were leaving Real GM. So it was, it was kind of funny where I was like, I'm not anything near them. And they were very good about saying, you don't be, just be yourself. You'll write about what you want to write about. We'll, we'll figure it out from there. So, so they were able to use that. The, the site, too, is heavily used by folks in and around the NBA itself. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good connection point for me to make with people. They would see, you know, as you, you know, at events, it always says your outlet on your uh, your media pass and they would see that on my credential and say oh real gm hey i use that site or what about this i have an idea and, and i was always like okay sure I'll write it down and then i'll go back and email people who do those things i guess um but those, those were just that that was kind of how i was able to use that and then that just furthered me meeting other people in the business and growing my network mm-hmm. and you were doing all of that while working another full-time job correct Correct. Yeah, I, I worked, uh, like I said, full time for the Walt Disney Company for nearly 20 years uh, for, for them. So I was, the basketball was very much just a side thing. It was uh, one of those things where it was like, well, I, I have ideas about basketball. I'd like to share them with a bigger, wider audience and get them out there. And then that kind of flipped on me about, I would say it was two years ago, where it really turned into, it felt like I was doing two full-time jobs yeah. at that point. I was still doing the Disney job and then the basketball job on top of it. I was using almost all my vacation from my full-time job with Disney to mm-hmm. do things like go to NBA Summer League or take uh, the week of uh, free agency off and uh, things around the trade deadline. I was using all my time off around that and, and really kind of, I guess in general, maybe driving my family a little crazy and uh, I, I live on the East Coast, so I was um, uh, maintaining very odd hours. I was up till one thirty-two in the morning and then up between 5 and 6 the next day to go to my full-time job and get my daughter off to school and those kind of things. So it was, it, it was a lot, but it was, you know, it's not something that a lot of other people haven't done as well. Yeah, exactly. Good way to look at it. And I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, the balance seemed like it could be a little difficult to strike at times just because, like you were saying, you're not just hanging out in your basement writing a blog or two whenever you feel like it. You're going to events, you're doing that kind of stuff. So was it difficult to balance that just starting two years ago or was that always kind of a little bit of a give and take throughout this process? Yeah, when I initially started, I wasn't covering games and those kind of things. They 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 real GM did a pretty good vetting process to make sure, you know, I was going to be walking into the locker room and being like, Hey, can I get an autograph? Mm-hmm. And those kind of things that, you know, unfortunately too many uh, new writers have, you know, faltered with. So, so it took a little while before I started covering games. But once I started covering games, I live in Orlando. So I was at just about every magic home mm-hmm. game. I would get down to as many practices, shoot arounds as I could. And then, yeah, any of the big uh, temple events for the NBA, I was trying to make it out there when I could, but it was a lot of, all right, well, I only have a week's vacation left. So do I save it for summer league or do I want to go to uh, all-star weekend or something like that? So, so the balance was always a little bit tough. And, you know, fortunately my wife and daughter, they're, they're my biggest fans out of anybody. So they were super supportive. I think my daughter originally now she's, she's almost 10. So things aren't, dad's not cool anymore, but initially it was like, cool that dad got to go into the NBA locker rooms and talk to, you know, NBA players. And every once in a while she'd, you'll hear me on the radio now if I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do radio. It's more of an annoyance because it means hey, I need you to be a little bit quiet for the next, you know, <laughs> half of that half hour or so. Well, if my parents are to be believed, it all kind of comes full circle there. So you'll be back to being cool in like a decade or so. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I hope, you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> can really only wait and see there. Well, yeah, that sounds like, you know, it's, it's tough balance, but you managed to strike it. And then you decided to take that leap of faith and ended up becoming a full-time NBA writer recently. Right. 
I did, yeah. About uh, about three weeks before the whole coronavirus stuff really shut everything down here, starting kind of with the NBA on, uh, well, I believe that was March 11th, I had uh, I left Disney and said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I had finally put together enough freelance and part-time uh, mm-hmm. writing work that I was able to do this full-time. It was, it was a, as I've kind of said to people, I said it was, a, it was a glorious three weeks, and I absolutely loved it. And, you know, hopefully it'll all come back around, but, but it, it's, it's been tough. It's been, you know, quite frankly, a little scary because uh, when everything is freelance, part-time, self-employed, those kind of things that makes it a little harder to collect on things like unemployment and the like. And uh, unfortunately I have had a couple outlets that had to let me go and others that have scaled back, but, but we're making it work. We're, you know, we're still better off than a lot of other folks are out there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, try, trying to make it out to be, you know, that I'm crying about it or anything, but, but it has been a little scary and a little nerve wracking. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that everything is bouncing out one way or the other, but uh, what was kind of so you said you gathered enough freelance work and to kind of make your get, get a full resume going, but there is you know like I said, there's a certain leap of faith. What was your motivation behind finally making that big change after so many years of writing on the side? Uh, there were there were really two things. One, and well, let me go with three. One was just the simple practicality of the money was enough to make it work without asking my family to make further sacrifices than they already had. Uh, beyond that, though, the two the two things were was I was really kind of getting to be beat down, worn down, you know, with the grind of going to bed between one thirty and two every night and getting up at between five and six to start the day. That it was just getting to be too much. I, I wasn't able to do it, and it was kind of hit that point where I I need to you know figure something's got to give here because this just isn't healthy. This isn't isn't working for me. It's not working for anybody. We got to figure this out. And then the other point was, you know, I'm, I'm not 20 years old anymore. It was kind of time to say either let's do this and give it a try mm-hmm. and see. And, and I didn't burn any bridges when I left Disney or anything like that. So I have a great you know, relationship with folks there. And, and you know, they're always going to be there. I'm not worried about, about that. If need be, I could always go back to working for them. And so it was, it, it's, it's kind of time to do this. And I'm the kind of person who I don't ever want to look back, you know, when I'm, you know, 10, 20 years from now and say, you know what, I wish I had made a run at trying to cover the league. I, I wish I had tried to do that. And, and I said, you know what, we'll do it. And with my wife's support and everything, we said, well, let's give it a shot and see where it goes. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We'll figure out something else after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's quite a decision, but it certainly seems like you obviously had a lot of time to think about it at the very least. And what I find most fascinating about your journey is that it seems like, I mean, everybody wants everybody who wants to be in this industry wants to be, you know, the guy who goes to the best journalism school and gets a sports journalism degree and then gets a job right out of college. But that's not really a realistic path for a lot of people, especially, I mean, in the few, who knows, God knows what the sports media landscape will look like over the next six months to a couple of years. But even before that, sports media wasn't exactly an easy industry to break into. So on that vein, what's advice that you would give to a young writer who is advancing on the path you are where they're balancing another job while trying to break into sports media by writing on the side? Yeah, my big thing is keep at it and and listen to folks. When people there, you might hear some things you don't want to hear. Uh, one of the things for me was it's going to take a while. Uh, anytime I talk to anybody, people would say to me, what's your goal here? Do you just want to do this part-time? Cause we, we know there are people they're content to do this part-time. It's more of a hobby. And if they make a few extra bucks doing it, then they've been great. 
But I think what ultimately for, for me was I would let people know, no, my goal is to eventually I would like to do this full time and, or I would love to work for a team. That's, that's still, you know, a goal of mine. That's something I would like to do eventually at some point too. And everyone would kind of say, well, you know, either path, it's going to take a while and you're going to have to work at it and do that. And I know sometimes that can be really hard. I know when I would deal with the interns that have work at Disney, there, there's no patience there. It's I want your job and I want it tomorrow. And it's, well, it took me, you know, 15 years to get here. You know, it, it, it takes time sometimes to work up. And, and sometimes people are really talented and they skip steps. And sometimes people skip steps for other reasons. But, but those, those are the big things. It's when someone's trying to be honest with you, take it as honesty. Don't take it as they're trying to be harsh. No one's trying to crush your dream. No one's really trying to hurt you. And then as far as the writing piece, I really, I do believe in the two tenets that I think a lot of writers are told. Write every day and read a lot. And that's how you're going to figure it out. And then the last piece I would say is just be yourself. Don't try and be somebody else. I know some of the sites I work with, I have an editorial and mentorship role with some of our younger writers and they'll come in and they'll, well, I want to be like uh, Zach Lowe or I want to write like Shea Serrano. And it's, my point is there's already a Zach Lowe. There's already a Shea Serrano. Like write like yourself and maybe some of that's in there. But don't don't try to do that. And I think for people my age, it was Bill Simmons. It was, you know, how many people tried to copy Bill Simmons along the way? And it just, you know, for some, it kind of worked out. But for a lot of people, when you find your own voice, you find your own voice. I, I, I tried for a little while to really inject a lot of humor in my writing. Mm-hmm. And there was times when it's like, this is not working. And then I realized, like, all right, that's not who I am. My, that's not who my written voice is necessarily. So I, I tweaked and adjusted and went, went to you know, really the things that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Very sound advice for sure. And as somebody who's taken the potentially the most difficult path into this industry, I would advise any listeners who are looking for notes to take them right now. Um, But yes, quite a journey. And uh, hopefully things steady out for you and things, you know, I I believe they will, you know, talented writer, talented reporter. But let's talk general basketball just for fun here. So you talked about how you would cover, uh, cover a lot of magic games. You're Florida guy. Let's say you get your dream job and you end up in the magic front office you're the gm the magic have been kind of in this weird limbo since the dwight howard trade where they're bad and then they're good and then they squeak into the playoffs they win a game they get swept in the first round how do you fix the orlando magic in one off season if you could try oh man i hope we have about a two or three hour long left on your podcast here but but no i my, my thing is I think the big thing that has not worked for the Magic is when they've tried to rush things and they haven't seen things through. That's been their single biggest issue since they traded Dwight. They were they were patient for about a year and a half, and then it was, all right, let's make these big trades and try to do this. I would try to see this thing through as much as you can. Find out what you have in some of the young guys, like Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, really let those guys grow into something here and figure it out. And you've got some solid veterans in Nikola Vucevic, Terrence Ross, uh, Evan Fournier, those guys around them that are they're, they're veterans who can help kind of keep a steady ship and get you close and into the postseason. But those guys are also, they're not so old that they are completely out of the timeline with, with the rest of the guys. There's about a seven-year difference between the youngest guy on the Magic who's a contributor and one of their oldest players. That's not such a massive gap that you can't easily work around that. So my big thing there is, is you know, see this through. Go incrementally if you need to for the next couple of years. And then eventually you'll know 
these guys are either the guys we can do this with, or it may be time to, unfortunately, let's tear it all back down and start over at step one. That's really one of the only proven methods to success in the NBA is to to tear it down, build around young guys, and push it forward. Some teams have been able to bridge the gap, like the Boston Celtics, where they've never really quite bottomed out, even when they were kind of trying. They didn't do that, but a lot of that was aided by the fact that they had all those fits from Brooklyn and the like. So, you know, if you can make smart trades along the way and do those things, that's your best way to get get things moving forward in a positive direction. Absolutely. And you just brought up the Celtics. From my personal standpoint, the first time I stumbled upon your Twitter account was because of a Celtics blog that you wrote, probably a 10 things that was after a game. I really like reading those. <laughs> um, but so the Celtics this year, you know, they were kind of up and down overall, you know, one of the better teams in the league by most statistical measures. Um, but let's, you know, imagine a future where everything did not go to shit and the league was not canceled. And, or not canceled, postponed, sorry, postponed. And the Celtics end up in the playoffs as the three seed behind Toronto and um, Milwaukee, and they end up playing the Sixers in the first round. And that is the death matchup for any Celtics fan. I can personally, as a big Celtics fan, speak to that. How do you think they would have fared against the Sixers in a first-round matchup? I think it would have been okay. I think there has been a lot made to the fact that the Celtics have they, they lost three or four this year to Philadelphia. But if you look at those games, they were always missing somebody key that they, they really needed to have in those games. And I think the biggest thing for Boston is I go back to something a, an opposing uh, scout told me before the season even started, when all the rosters were kind of put together, I was asking a scout, I said, how is Boston going to defend Philadelphia? They, they, they just, they, they don't have a center now. They no longer have four thirties now on the other side. Philly's huge. How are they going to be able to do that? That's the team they're going to have to be to eventually get to where they want to be. And he went through some different things that they could do, but then he turned it at the end. He goes, think about it this way. How's Philadelphia going to defend that? If they've got everybody going, if they've got Brown Tatum and Hayward going on the wing and they've got Kemba Walker, you know, doing his thing, How's Philly going to defend them? And I think that's the key for the Celtics. It's to make Philadelphia work as hard to defend them as they can. And I think also what we saw is all those games with Philly were fairly early in the season for the most part. And the Celtics have really grown into a different team, especially as Jason Tatum really kind of went into the all-star break and came out this complete monster who turned into a guy that's just really, really difficult to handle. I don't know that Philadelphia has a guy they can put on him and feel comfortable with saying, all right, you take him out of the game, except for maybe Simmons, but then that's just going to open up the floor for some other Celtics. You're going to have some trouble with Embiid, sure, but but I think in general you you know say, hey, if Embiid goes and gets 40, let him get 40. We'll focus on taking everybody else away. Yeah, and the thing with Embiid is that he absolutely will get that 40 if you're content to be that. Let that be your strategy. But I think, you know, it's really disappointing that that right final day of the regular season was supposed to be today and all this stuff you know playoffs were supposed to start i was excited to see kind of how simmons would deal with a playoff defense because you know horford was huge for the celtics in the previous sixers playoff series but at the end of the day they they kind of i don't know in my from my viewpoint sort of crafted the blueprint on how to defend simmons in the playoffs and so he would have been he would have been pretty comfortable with that defensive scheme at that point it's the third time he's played them in his young career in the playoffs and I was interested to see how he would take advantage of that or how Brett Brown would try to, you know, alter his game plan to see if they could overcome it. Yeah, definitely. We lost a lot of things if, if these playoffs can't come back. There were so many great stories out there and so many cool matchups as you look forward 
to it. The, the playoffs should, should have been starting this coming weekend, right? And those are the, that first weekend of the playoffs is always one of my favorite. You know, you're going to get four great game ones, hopefully, that you can sit down and watch over the course of Saturday and Sunday and really uh, dig in and enjoy. And that becomes really kind of tricky. Now, I think for the Simmons question is, I, I, I think Stevens would have had some sort of wrinkle. I, I think you might have seen him throw Jalen Brown at him, Gordon Hayward, maybe Tatum, uh, Semi Ojale. I think you're going to see he, he would have rotated a whole bunch of different guys at Simmons. And then worst comes to worst, play way off him, play a mile off him and dare him to shoot and see where it goes. What they're missing most without Horford is when Horford would guard him one-on-one, he could play off him. And then if Simmons came at him with a head of steam, Horford still had the side to challenge him in and around the basket area. Mm-hmm. The challenge now is, is you don't have that size back there that's going to be his guy. It's going to have to be somebody help. But Boston's help defense has been really good all year. Tatum's uh, weak side shot blocking as a help defender has been phenomenal. So I think those are the things you're looking at. The Celtics trying to do something a little bit different schematically than what they've thrown at Philly the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And I was exceptionally disappointed, really, because even though I am a Celtics fan, in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that Simmons would come out to the playoffs and have an Aaron Baines-like renaissance shooting from three. <laughs> all, all, all the regular season to throw people off in the playoffs, and then he becomes like a 35% shooter. I mean, how amazing would that have been? That would have been incredible. Oh, man, that would have broke Twitter. I, I, especially some of the uh, weird Celtics Twitter guys out there who have made a made a whole Twitter following on picking on Ben Simmons. I don't know what they would have done. Yeah, it would have been it would have been a meltdown of proportions we haven't seen. It would have been amazing. Oh well well, you know, still might happen. Won't completely throw away hope yet. But uh now moving on to the last part of the interview here where we just asked some bigger, broader questions. What is, and this could be for any reason at all, your favorite basketball memory? Uh that's a good question. Um, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but I think I was an assistant coach for the, the high school I went to, Bridgewater Rainham High mm-hmm. School in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. I was an assistant coach for them in the 2001-2002 season, I believe it was. It was when I had gotten back from Florida from an internship. I was finishing up school. I was working at the high school part-time and was one of the assistant coaches. And we had a massive upset win in the state tournament where one of our kids, a kid named Dan Clark, um, I'll never forget his name. He made a half-court buzzer beater against the team we never should have beaten, and it was it was amazing. And just the fact that like it just uh, I'll never forget the ball going in, the whole gym going completely silent, and then just the explosion of noise in this gym. It was at, at Newton North, uh, where the game was, and just it exploded, and everybody went crazy. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, and then kind of building off that slightly, what's your favorite basketball writing memories so you think it could be an article that you wrote about something you particularly valued in a game or just kind of I don't know whatever comes to mind when I say basketball writing memory what do you think yeah I think probably the thing that comes to mind most was I wrote an article for Celtics blog uh why this was a while back it was about it was right after Paul Pierce had his last game in Boston, in, in, in Boston, in the TD Garden. And the fans just showered him with love. And, and he made that shot mm-hmm. at the end of that game. And that was one of the things that was uh, – I, I talked to some people around the league, some players, some coaches, some front office people. And one of the things that they said is Boston gets a lot of grief for what it can be as a sports city. But the way they love their heroes 
in the way they showered Pierce with love was there. And I talked and I, and I had to write things and I talked to some upcoming free agents who said, you know, it made me think about it a little bit differently. And that was right around the time when the Celtics started landing a couple free agents. And that, why that's one of my favorites is because that got picked up by a lot of different places. And it was that validation of, hey, hey this guy does know what he's talking about. He's not, you know, just a, another guy writing about a team and, you know, spouting off stuff there. It got picked up places. It got validated by a few other other people who said, yeah, hey, I've heard the same kind of thing. And that was really cool to kind of have that that experience um, there. That was just, you know, something that was really special to me to be able to, to finally feel like, you know, that was, I think, maybe the first time. I was like, I think I can do this. I think this is something I could do. Yeah, that's always a always a good feeling to have, right? <laughs> yeah, you you hope you have it more often than that, but but it's uh, you, you you know as a writer, you're always your own worst critic, and and I think it's uh, Jay King who often says, "Man, I hated everything about this, but I wrote it anyway. Please read it." He he tends to tweet that a lot, and that always makes me laugh because there's so much truth in it. Jay is going to be so pumped. This is the second podcast he's been mentioned in without actually being on it. Because I interviewed him and then I talked about him with Michael Pena. Now I'm talking about it with you. He's going to be super stoked. <laughs> oh, man. He's going to have a hard time with his ego. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the McDonald's challenge might have humbled him a little bit. but This is true. That would have humbled anybody. <laughs> that was supreme content. Uh, can't wait to add him on Twitter about this later. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this... All right, just generally speaking, who has been your favorite person to interview in your writing career? Um, there, there's a couple. Uh, the fir- very first one who comes to mind is Sonny Weems, which might sound a little weird, um, but he was my first ever uh, one-on-one interview. Oh. Uh, if you don't remember him, I, I don't blame, blame you. Um, he was a, you know, a guy who was kind of on the fringes of the NBA. And he was, at the time, he was with the Phoenix Suns. It was at the end of a very miserable season for Phoenix. But he was finally getting some playing time and doing some things. And I had a chance to have a long conversation with him about being back in the NBA. He, he'd been a guy who had to, he was in the NBA, then got cut, went over to Europe and really fought his way back onto a roster. And that was always cool. And he really gave me a lot of time when, you know, nobody else knew me. And, you know, there, there was nothing there. And then my, my next favorite would be um, another favorite memory was with, uh, I interviewed Kemba Walker this year when they made their trip to Orlando. And it was the day after he was named an NBA All-Star once again, first time with the Celtics. And his absolute genuine happiness at that. And I was the one who said to him, I said, Hey, do you know, you're kind of keeping a trend going here of Celtics point guards under Brad Stevens mm-hmm. making the all-star game from Isaiah to Kyrie Irving. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, I didn't know that. And he just got that big giant Kemba Walker smile on his face. And he goes, that's pretty dope. And that's something that'll stick with me for a long time. Yeah. I think whenever Kemba Walker smiles, a tree grows or something that dude, it just, <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, he's, he's like that. Yeah, definitely. It's fantastic. And then finally, um, what's something about your job that you feel like other people don't know or they don't really understand? I, yeah, I, this one comes up a lot. I think is how hard we work. I think people think it's, and I'm not at all going to say it's not fun to go to games and it's not, it's not really, really cool to get paid to go to games versus paying to go to games. That part is amazing. I have multiple friends that I've said, if I ever take this for granted, you have full permission to just punch me right in the face because that's, you know, if I'm ever, you know, 
not thankful for that, you know, remind me of it and, you know, make sure I remember just how cool it is. But I think people don't realize just how hard you have to work and how long the hours are and those kind of things. I think about my, my dad did manual labor. He was a, uh, worked on printing presses almost my entire life. And what he did was physically hard. But he says to me all the time, he goes, I don't know how you do this. Sit in front of a, you know, empty document and just fill it with words mm-hmm. and stories. He's like, anytime I try to do anything like that. And for him, it's like writing a Facebook rant. He's like, I'm exhausted afterwards. And it's, and it's funny because I try to tell people it, it takes a lot of time and effort. There's a lot of phone calls, a lot of connecting, building relationships, trying to build that trust with people. And that only comes by putting in time and effort. You're never going to get there if you just, you know, show up one day and think, you know, all right, I, I've got this, you know, the biggest star in the league will talk to me and open right up to me. You've got to really put that time and effort in. And it's a lot of hours. I think people forget the game ends. You know, a Magic game, for example, they usually play at 7 o'clock Eastern. So their games are over about 9.30. Well, for most people, that's it. They leave the arena, they shut the TV off, and they go home. I'm rarely home before midnight, and that's on a good night because you're doing your post game, then you're doing your writing, trying to connect with a few other people. There's always those conversations with the out-of-town writers where it's kind of like, hey, I was wondering about this, and where I don't – I'm not a Magic beat writer, so I do some things with a national bent, so – I tend to try to get some info out of those guys when I can. And those turn into long days. And that's usually followed that that's all at the end of the day. After if you were there for shoot around at, you know, 10 in the morning, uh, then you're back in the, at the arena by three or four o'clock in the afternoon. They're long days. Now it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. So I'm not complaining at all, but I don't think a lot of people realize that it's a lot more than just turn a game on, watch it and then sit down and write, you know, spit out a few thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And then this might overlap with the previous question a little bit, but what's something you wish you knew back when you were just starting out for Real GM about the industry, about the path forward, anything? Um, I think one thing I wish I knew was the value of not trying to jump right in with every nugget of news you hear Mm -hmm. and sharing that. Now, in fairness, that probably helped me grow a little bit of a Twitter following before I was really deserving of it, mm-hmm. but I blew a couple times where there were people who came back like that. Like I told you that that wasn't meant to be told to everybody. Um, and, and also there were a couple times where, you know, I didn't, the way I would phrase things was almost like this is going to happen versus this is being talked about and those kind of things. So I wish I knew that then that sometimes it's okay to just kind of keep those things to yourself, hold them a little closer to the vest, and then you can kind of let it play out and see where it goes versus trying to be, you know, a newsbreaker. I learned pretty quickly after that. I leave the news, the big news breaking to Woj and Shams and Chris Haynes and, and those guys, because they're, they're going to get, get it every time. And I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the occasional 10 day or overseas signing and the like. Very good, uh, good insight, I would say for sure. And leaving it to those, <laughs> leaving it to the big guys would probably be a good piece of advice for everybody for sure. Yeah, I mean, I told, I actually was talking to one of our guys the other day. He said to me, he goes, how do you get sources? And, you know, we had the conversation about, well, let's put the time and effort in, build the relationship, you know, get there, meet those people. You know, you, you're going to have to work at it for a while. And I said, but decide, is that really, really what you want to do? Because I know Shams a little bit from our time together at Real GM, and I know Chris really well. Yeah. Um, Chris Haynes has been, you know, fantastic to me uh, throughout my entire time doing this is part of the reason why I'm with Yahoo as one of my outlets is because of Chris. And one of the things that I can say is those guys, their phone is never off, it's never out of their hands. 
They're constantly on it, doing texting someone, calling someone, emailing someone, reading things and those kind of things. And it's just, if that's the life you want to live, great. You know, and thankfully people like me, I need people like that because that gives me stuff to do and write about and uh, tag onto and those kind of things. But if, but if you're not committed to living that life 24 seven, then it's probably just something you're better to stay out of. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Keith, that will conclude the interview. Thank you so much again for joining and giving us a lot of really insightful and interesting answers into kind of your own career path here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I apologize for the technology issues, but I think you're right. We got it worked out on the technology. Oh, we got it worked out beautifully. No worries <laughs> at all. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.